John's got some questions now. Are you, are you actually the Messiah or not? Uh, uh, John's over here rotting away in prison, and uh, you know, we thought for sure the Messiah was supposed to go out and do great things and overthrow the Romans and lead us to great political victory. You don't seem to be doing that. And of course, Jesus goes out and he heals the sick and raises the dead and preaches the gospel and says, take these things back and tell them to John and he'll believe. Then Jesus looks at the crowd and he begins to ask the crowd some questions about John. And here's what is essential to realize is that Jesus and John are a package Jesus and John come together. Their ministries are intertwined. You cannot believe that John was a prophet of God without believing that Jesus is the Messiah. John's entire message, and he states it quite clearly on any number of occasions, they say to him, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not. I am the voice crying in a wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah whom we seek is coming, and my job is to introduce him. If the Messiah had not shown up after John's ministry, John would not have actually been the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and he would not have carried out the ministry God had given him, and he wouldn't have fulfilled the prophecies that God gave about the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So Jesus has to show up, and of course, Jesus does. But he now presents the people because the people believe that that John is a prophet. They're going to state that, clearly. Everyone thought John was a prophet. Okay, well, that's good. I'm really glad you believe John was the prophet. I'm, I'm glad that you believe John was the prophet, the one who was going to come and to announce the Messiah. The question is, do you now believe in the Messiah? And that's going to create a crisis. Because what's going to happen is, and we all know how the story unfolds, yeah, they all thought John was a prophet, but Jesus, mm, Jesus is a prophet, then no problem with that. But is he the Messiah? And the fact is, they ended up concluding that Jesus was, not only was Jesus not the Messiah, they went back and reevaluated the ministry of John. So Jesus is going to challenge them at this moment. John is still alive, as this event unfolds, the disciples of John just left to go back and to tell him. And so Jesus now turns to the crowd and challenges them. He begins to ask them questions. And not to re-preach that sermon, but remember, when God wants to challenge people, he immediately starts asking them questions. Lord, save us from getting into the place where we have to start answering God's questions, because God tends to ask very difficult questions. Point right to our sin, right to our shortcomings. That's exactly what God does. And of course, Jesus is going to do it right here. Jesus is going to start asking them questions to help them think through what do you think about John? Because what you think about John is going to directly affect what you think about Jesus. They feel like they've got a handle on John. Oh, he's the prophet of God. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's telling us to prepare the way. Prepare the way for what? To clearly prepare the way for the Messiah. And Jesus is, without clearly stating, oh, by the way, I am the Messiah. He does say that once or twice, but not very often. Uh, But he is making that exact point to people. 
Stop and think about what John is saying, and then stop and think about what's going on. So Jesus says to them, first off, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? John's ministry was not where the people were. John did not, like Jesus, and by the way, as this passage unfolds, we're going to see that there is a comparison and a contrast to the ministry of Jesus. John, instead of, like Jesus, going through the cities, going from synagogue to synagogue or or passing through all of the various cities, John doesn't do that. John is going to go to the wilderness. He's going to go where no one is. And they're going to have to go to him. They're going to have to walk out of the city, go who knows however long it is, down into the wilderness, down by the Jordan River, and they're going to have to go listen to John there. So the question is, what did you go out to see? What, What did you go out into there to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So Jesus immediately points to the person of John and the message of John and who who John was. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see someone who is just kind of wishy-washy? You know how reeds and the wind are, right? If you've ever been down near a swamp and and watched the foliage, uh, down there where the wind is blowing, that's how the... Whichever way the wind is blowing. We know people who we describe them to this day. People who wet their finger and stick it in the wind and try to discern how the winds are blowing and that's the direction they're going to lean in. Is that what you went out to see? Did you, go, did you go out into the wilderness to hear a guy who pandered to you? A guy who got up and tickled your ears. A guy who got up and said, you know, nice things. Who read the audience. Who tried to determine what the winds of the culture were. And, and decided to sway with whatever culture the direction was going. He, he wouldn't say anything to offend anyone. He wouldn't say anything that would that would cause people to feel a little uncomfortable, right? Um, well, if half the crowd decided that they should pay taxes and just, just pay taxes to the Romans, and the other half was like, absolutely not, we're going to never pay taxes to the Romans, well, a guy who was a reed shake in the wind would, would say, well, half of you believe this and half of you believe that, and well, I just agree with you. <laughs> and everyone can all laugh and we can all just kind of move on because, well, we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to say anything that would upset anybody. We're a reed, a reed shaken in the wind. This, this is what they, you know, what does the person talking actually believe? Well, it's very difficult to determine what he actually believes. His job is to entertain. His job is to make everyone feel good. To make sure that, that everyone knows that, that they're, that they're agreed with, they're affirmed. This, this is a person who has no boldness, they have no conviction, they, they have no clear message. In fact, their message is whatever they think you want to hear. They just get up and say whatever you, whatever you want to hear. They, they don't actually have any conviction. They don't have any backbone. They're just a person who gets up and, and, and we don't want to be divisive. We, we don't want to cause any kind of controversy. Jesus is like, is that who you went out to see? Is that the guy that you went out into the wilderness to hear? Is, is this the person that once you got out there, did, did you hear a message that just tickled your ears? <laughs> no, right? That is exactly the opposite of who John was. John was not some fluid guy who just kind of, well, the truth is whatever we want it to be, and 
we don't want to we don't want to actually make bold clear statements we want to we want to just make sure that everyone feels good and affirmed and the truth of god is whatever you want it to be is is this john is this what they went out to hear is this the message a person who frankly you couldn't tell what the truth is from them because well they never spoke the truth the truth was whatever they thought you wanted to hear. And they didn't want to upset you. Is that? Is that what you went out to hear? And the answer to that question is, of course, in all of those instances, uh, no, that's not who we went out to hear. We went out to hear a man of conviction. We went out to hear a man who said, black and white, repent. You need to repent because God's kingdom is arriving shortly and we need to be ready for it. You need to stop doing the evil things you are doing and start doing righteous things. Why is John in prison? John is in prison because he looked at Herod and said, you were wrong to take your brother's wife. And you're living in adultery with her even now. And that was so offensive to Herodias in particular. She just wanted him dead. Herod, since he's married to her, he finally has John arrested. I mean, you can't be out here publicly saying this, John. Uh, Actually, yes, I can. Because this is what God says. John is a man who has a clear and unwavering message. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is not the moment to be trying to cover our sin and to lead lives that when God finally arrives, we are not at all prepared for him to be here. We've got to clean up our act. Now is the time to clean up your act. Now is the time to do right. And John's message could not have been more clear. John was anything but a reed tossed in the winds, flowing in this direction and flowing in that direction. John got up and spoke the clear message of God. The Messiah is coming, and when he gets here, if you think my message is difficult to hear, wait till you get to his message. I only baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire. I'm drawing a line, he's going to draw a brighter line. It is going to be very clear by the time the Messiah is done that you are standing on one side of this message or the other. You have either repented and turned from your sin or you are in your sin. You're either going to accept the message or you're not. And of course, the message is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is, in fact, the one who has come as God's representative. And to this day, this is the message we must preach. Heaven is not at the top of some mountain with many roads. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the, way, the ends thereof are the ways of death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. You narrow-minded. Absolutely. The road is narrow. It's Jesus or nothing. That's it. So we do not get, like 
like John, we have, a, we have a choice. We're either going to stand for truth and we're going to declare truth or we're not. What's interesting is here we are 2,000 years later, give or take, and the issues have not changed. The temptation to want to be liked, to want to be accepted, to want to say things that make people feel good. Tell them how wonderful they all are and how great it all is, as opposed to pointing out that we are all sinners in need of a savior and that we need to repent and we need to turn to God. And once we do that, of course, God, in fact, pours blessings on us. It's not like we don't have innumerable blessings. Or that God isn't, in fact, going to give his peace that passes all understanding. And we're going to be part of the family of God. And we are going to be seated in the heavenlies. And we're going to be renewed in our relationship with Christ as the Spirit of God indwells us. All of those things are going to be true. And, and they're going to grow. And, and we're going to be more righteous as we live out the gospel in our lives. But the only way to get there is through humility. The only way to get there is to recognize our need of a savior and to admit that we are sinners. We still need to repent if we're ever going to get into the kingdom of heaven. That message hasn't changed. Then he goes on to say, "Um, so what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed live in luxury or found in royal palaces. Did you go out into the wilderness to see this a refined man of wisdom, a man of education, who was going to uh, speak those words which, which were, uh, you know, a guy who lived like royalty and just, you just looked at him and thought, wow, what a, what a show this guy can put on. He's really got pizzazz. You know, he's just, he's just got that showmanship to him. We just go out there and he's, he's so entertaining. I mean, look at how he's dressed. It's, his, his very dress is entertaining. It, wow, what a guy. We just go and, and we listen to him and, and we, it's just great. Is, is that who you went out to hear? Is, is that the guy you went out to hear? This, this cultured person with smooth words and fair speeches? Is, is that who you went You get out there and here's John. John is standing there in camel skin. He's got a leather belt, and he's, and he's chomping on a grasshopper. That's John. Who, by the way, uh, every indication is that he's taken a Nazarite vow, and so he's never cut his hair. Think about that. Here he is, 30-ish, you know, somewhere in there. He's about six months older than Jesus, so, you know, 31, 32, 3, somewhere. He's somewhere in there. Never got a haircut. Never use shampoo either, by the way. Just throw that out there for you. And have such a thing. So John, who was out here literally living in the wilderness, dressed in a hunk of camel skin with you know, a little leather belt wrapped around him, uh, this is the farthest thing from a person of refinement, as we might take that term. Uh, he is not dressed in soft clothing. He is out here speaking essential words that this nation needs to hear. So who, who did you go out to hear? Did, did you go out to hear this guy who um, 
You know, he didn't really have any conviction, right? He was, he was just a smooth guy, you know? He could smooth things over. He was, a, he was a person who knew how to take a situation that might have some tension and conflict in it and, and make sure there wasn't any by, by what? Oh, by whatever means necessary, lie if you have to. Just tell people whatever they want to hear. Is that what you went out to hear? Is, is that the person you went out into the wilderness to hear? And the answer, of course, is... No. No, we went out to see the guy who's dressed in the camel skin with the leather belt, chewing on the grasshopper. That's what we went out to hear. We went out to hear a guy who we knew had not been bought off, who was not part of the culture, who was not, he, he, he was going to speak the truth to us because, I don't know what more they're going to do to him. What, what do you got? Take away his possessions? He doesn't have any. The only thing, which is what they finally ended up doing, is they literally had to imprison him. And even then, he spoke the truth. This is a man who is going to speak truth to you. That's what we went out to hear. We went out to hear a man who we knew was not bought off by the goods of this world and was going to speak the truth to us. We went out to hear what? A prophet. We went out to hear a man who we knew was going to tell us God's words. And he was going to tell us what God had to say no matter what happened to him. And no matter what the consequences were, this is a guy who's already living an ascetic lifestyle. I mean, he's already literally living in the wilderness. And so it's not like he has houses and lands and clothes and all the other things that this world has. To, he doesn't have any of that. So he's going to stand up and speak truth to us. That's why we went to go hear him, because we wanted to hear the truth. We wanted to know what the truth was. So Jesus says, you went out to hear a prophet, right? Well, I have news for you. He's more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. This is the one who is going to come before the very Messiah. All the other prophets prophesied about the coming Messiah. Moses talked about him. Because God spoke and said, I'm going to send one, who a prophet like you, Moses, but not you. And to him, the Gentiles, people will listen to him. Moses talked about, all the prophets talked about him. Isaiah talks about him. Jeremiah talks about him. Daniel talks about him. In fact, the Son of Man, a term that Daniel uses, Jesus uses it about himself all the time. This is the one who's coming. And so he is, John is a prophet who is greater than all those other prophets. Why? Because all those other prophets said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. John got up and said, he's here. I am here to announce his arrival. Everyone else announced that one of these days, we're not sure when, we're not sure how, we're not sure how it's actually going to work out, but one of these days he's coming, not John. John got up and said, I'm here to tell you, he's here. He's in our midst. So John stands up and declares that the Messiah has come, recognizing that the day and age in which John operated, that was a huge topic of conversation. Um, you have to kind of put your old... Testament and your, and your Jewish thinking cap on to recognize that David, Saul, David, they, these, Saul, David, and Solomon have a united kingdom, and they're looking at this like, okay, God has fulfilled his promises to us. We've got this king. And then the kingdom divides north and south, and that's kind of disconcerting if you're paying attention, but, but at least we're all still here. And then the Assyrians come and haul off the ten northern tribes. It's like, ooh, that's a... Uh-huh. But that's okay. We still have the southern tribes and the temple, and we're all, 
We're still here. We're still good. And of course, that happened. Nebuchadnezzar comes down, and he takes away the southern tribes, and then ends up completely destroying the temple. And if you're Jewish, you're, everything you've got is kind of bound up in that relationship with God, and it's all falling apart now. But but God is still faithful. You've got Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and, and, you, and you've got these guys who are faithful, and, and then you've got the people who come back, and they come back, Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and then the temple gets rebuilt, and you're like, okay, you got Now, we call the 400 silent years. It wasn't really all that silent. You can read history. And the fact is there was a moment in there, just a little bit. If you think about the world map, the ancient world map, the Egyptians were a power. The, to the west were the European, although they weren't called European at the time. But the Greeks were a power. And then to the east were the Assyrians and the Persians, and, and they were a power. Well, there's only one landmass that connects all three of those major powers. Israel, right down there. And so every time these people went to war, they marched through Israel. And they either marched south or north. or every time. So these poor guys, they're never, they're always ruled by somebody, but there is one slice. There was a slice of time in there. There was a little moment when these countries had all beaten each other so bloodied that they all left one another alone. And for that moment, they actually stood up during the 400 silent years and had some independence. But then they lost it again. The Romans came down and conquered them one more time. So now, they're like, where's our Messiah? We, we thought for sure there that we were going to, that our Messiah, when we had our independence, and, and that only happened like 63 AD, that the Romans came down and, and reconquered them. So it really hasn't been that long. And they, for that, for that little brief moment, thought, okay, we're finally independent. We're finally going to, our Messiah is going to show up. We're going to maintain our independence and we're going to just grow. And from here, we're going to rule the whole world. And, and here we are again. The Romans are after us and, and we're now paying taxes. And this is why they're so upset and why the discussion of is the Messiah coming was so intense. And of course, the Messiah shows up. John stands up and preaches. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is among us. Which is why, by the time Jesus and John actually show up, they're waiting for them to do something political. Do something political. And of course, they don't. And Jesus stands up and says to them, you went out to hear a prophet, and I say to you, he is more than a prophet. In fact, of all those born of women, none are greater than John. All the other prophets got up and did their ministry and did their lives and died. John John actually has to stand up and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is at work in our midst. I am God's spokesperson. And then he actually had to just decrease. Had to decrease. And when they come to him, they say, hey, John, you know, you got up and announced this great thing. And you baptize this guy, Jesus. Are you aware that Jesus has got his own followers? And that Jesus and his followers are actually baptizing more people now than you are? I mean, his ministry is doing better than yours, John. Come on. This is, you're supposed to have, you know, the John the Baptist ministry here. You're supposed to have big crowds and grow. And John, we all know what John says, right? He must increase. I must decrease. My job was to introduce him and pass off the scene. You know how hard that is? You know how tough a ministry that is? That's John's ministry. That's why John is greater than all the other prophets. He willingly just passed off the scene. John did not grab the reins. 
John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, wait, are you? I mean, you really are the Christ, right? I mean, you are the Messiah we've been looking for. Why in the world am I sitting here in jail? And, you know, John dies without ever figuring that out. He trusts that Jesus is the Messiah, but he never really, no one, it is a mystery hidden. No one puts together that Jesus is going to actually die as the Messiah. It's just, they haven't wrapped their head around it until after it's all over, and then, then it becomes clear. So John exerts great faith and remains faithful and is this great prophet, even though he decreases and continuously points to Jesus. Follow him. Which is why John is greater, he is the greatest of all the prophets. None born of women is greater than John, and yet he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. How does that work? Well, once we enter into the kingdom of heaven, John was a prophet, but, but we now are members of the body of Christ. Of course, John is too, but there is a new covenant. We are all members of the new covenant. And all members of the new covenant are doing better than the greatest member of the old covenant, which is what John was. John was the greatest prophet, the greatest member of the old covenant, but he was still a member of the old covenant. We are now members of the new covenant. So the things that we have, we are now part of the church and part of the body of Christ and spiritual gifts and the ability to build up the body and all of those great things that are, that are just part of being part of the church, Don't take them for granted. The least of those who are part of the church of God and part of the new covenant and part of what God is doing in this age are greater than John. We have a greater ministry than John. This is what God has called us to do. So, when all, 29, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, the common folks and the tax collectors and you know, the, the people who were sinners, the people who actually were willing to repent, and you hear the message, well, they, they acknowledge God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Yes, we are willing to come. We are willing to admit we are not prepared. We are not ready for the kingdom of God. Our lifestyle, the, the, the people that we are, the way that we're living, we have got we, we to be different people here. I mean, if the, if the king is ever going to show up, and want to actually rule and reign, we, yeah, we gotta, we got to be different folks. And so they acknowledge God's justice. They acknowledge that it was just that God asked us to repent. We need to repent. We need to be different people. There is absolutely no doubt about it. We do not measure up. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, well, they rejected God's purpose for themselves. They were not going to be baptized by John. Now, the Pharisees and the lawyers, these were the people who appointed themselves the arbitrators of what the law actually taught. Some of them were priests and had something to do with the, with the temple, but, but most of them weren't. Um, most of them were not priests. Some of them were, but most of them weren't. Some of them were scribes. Most of them weren't. They actually came from outside the royal priesthood, and they were generally merchants or artisans. They were kind of the middle class of that, of that age. And they would study the scriptures. They would learn from a teacher. They would become a, a student. And, and then they would make it. That was level one. Level two was to become uh, unordained scholars. So they, they passed the test to actually know the scriptures and know what they said. And then, and then you eventually made it to level three, which was you were actually declared 
to be a, a rabbi now. You could be referred to as a rabbi because you had mastered the teachings of your teachers and of the scriptures, and you could pass the tests. And these are guys who would now felt compelled or, or qualified to make any kind of ruling you needed, whether it was about culture or society or right or wrong or whatever. They now could declare to you what the word of God said. John gets up and says, you need to repent. They're like, we don't need to repent. We don't need repentance. We're, we're plenty godly enough. If the Messiah were to just show up, he'd obviously put us in charge because we know what God has to say. And in their pride and in their arrogance and in their unwillingness, they, as we will watch it unfold, they, they will not only not submit to the baptism of John, they, of course, will become completely responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. These are the guys. These are the people. They listen to John, and they're like, no, no, we don't. We, not us. We don't need any repentance. That's not us. We don't need to repent for the kingdom of heaven. If it isn't, and all the better. We're just waiting. He's obviously going to come. So when you, when you read, like, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is completely directed at these guys. You all think that your outward conformity, it's not going to do you any good. So they didn't like John. Well, okay, how did John live? John's out in the wilderness. John's in the camel hair. He's over there eating locusts and honey. Um, John is out here living this aesthetic lifestyle. Don't, you're not going to watch John drinking any wine or going to any of these you know, having any kind of banquets or that kind of stuff. That's, that's not who John is. And they don't like him. So Jesus says publicly now, and I mean, there's a reason why they crucified him, right? There's a reason. He stands up publicly and says to them all, to what shall I compare this generation? What do you guys like? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what you're all like. You're all like a bunch of kids. And yes, it came across just like it sounds. Um, you sit in the marketplace and you call to one another and you say, hey, we played the flute for you and, and, and you didn't dance. And then we sang a dirge for you and, and you didn't weep. Now, in the, in the culture of that day, the two big uh, common celebrations would be weddings and funerals. And that would, those were done regularly. And so apparently somewhere here, the, the marketplace was kind of the center of town. And at the town that Jesus was at, in the center of town, um, the kids would play. You know, the parents are there and the kids are there. And, and so the kids are all trying to keep themselves entertained. You know how that goes. And so they're, they're hey, let's play a game. Let's, let's, let's have a wedding. All right. So we start singing and, and we start playing the instruments. And okay, everybody, come on, get out and dance. You know, and, you know we don't feel like dancing. And a little time goes by, like, okay, well, let's, let's have a funeral. I don't feel like dancing. Let's have a funeral. Like, oh, we'll, we'll sing some dirges, you know, and we, we, and we can weep. And we can, we can act like we're crying because, you know, they actually paid people to mourn at, at funerals. Um, and we don't want to do that either. Wait, we, we did the smiling thing, you didn't want to do that. So we did the crying thing, you didn't want to do that. In fact, it doesn't matter what we do, you don't want to do it. Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly who this generation is. Here this generation is. John the Baptist, he came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said, he's got a demon. 
you great teachers of the law who are supposed to know all the will of God and supposed to know exactly what God has to say. What did you say? You said John had a demon. Why? Well, because look at him. You know, we know how demon-possessed people are. They live out in the wilderness. You know, they do strange things. They're kind of odd. They're, they're, and look at John. Okay. The Son of Man, Jesus, of course, speaking of himself. Well, I came eating and drinking. Jesus, you know, his first sign is the wedding at Canaan, and he turns the water into wine, right? Jesus comes, and he eats, and he drinks, and, and, he, and he, he meets with sinners. He actually eats with them. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man, and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Crucial thing to recognize here. God is in both of these ministries, right? I mean, that is the whole thing, right? Wisdom is vindicated In both of those instances, both John was a wise man doing what God wanted him to do. Jesus, of course, was God himself and doing exactly what God should be doing. Exact opposite ministry styles. God used them both. Here's the great thing about serving God. Serve God and be you in the best sense of who you are. God has given each of us unique gifts and abilities. God God uses your set of who you are. You have a background. You have parents. You have an upbringing. You have an education. You have a personality. You have certain talents. You have certain skills. You have things that have made you you, and you are unique. And guess what? God can use who you are unique. And yet, there are similarities. Jesus speaks truth. Jesus speaks with conviction. Jesus speaks the words of God, just like John. Jesus is authentically who he is. John is authentically who he is. We need to be authentically who we are, and yet who we are is who we are in Christ. So don't feel like you've got to be like somebody else. Don't, don't look at somebody else and go, wow, I wish I, you know, I wish I was them. You don't need to be them. Be you. Don't worry, God uses you. God used John, God used Jesus, God used Peter, and God used Paul. The list just goes on and on and on. Peter and Paul, can you imagine? I mean, really stop and think for a second how poor Peter. Peter is literally a fisherman. He is a guy who's got some education, but compared to, like, Paul, Paul sits at the feet of Gamaliel. This is as much education as you can get. And yet, in the church, it is Peter who has, has the... Jesus has appointed him head of the twelve, not Paul. And Peter's job is to lead, and he does. And he does it through the power of the Spirit of God. And so this is how how the kingdom of God works. What's essential is that, like Jesus and like John, we speak the truth. And we have conviction. And we are authentic And we are determined to know the word of God, to understand the word of God, and to declare the word of God. And by the way, our generation, much like the generation of Jesus, it it doesn't really matter. Um, It is vain. It is of no value to try to somehow, well, we've got to appease our generation. Really, you think so? Because I've got news for you. If you play the flute and decide to dance, they won't like that. And if you get the dirge and you decide to cry, they won't like that either. Just speak Truth. Just speak truth. And we will see the power of God work in our lives. This is what we are called to do. 
We are called to be who we are. We're Americans, for good or ill, however that may be. Uh, here we are. We should embrace that, which, by the way, we do. We live in the culture we're in. You'll know we all kind of dress, you know. And that's okay. God's fine with that. It's not like, you know, we don't have to be weird. We don't have to decide next week, you know, uh, we better all get in robes, you know. We've got robes, we're going to start handing them out to everybody that comes. To, we, we, that's not us, and it doesn't have to be us. John, who was who John was? Jesus was who Jesus was, and Peter who was who Peter was. What doesn't change is the word of God. That is the crucial thing here. That is what they went out into the wilderness to see. And that's why they come to Jesus, too, by the way, even though they'll crucify him. They, they, can't, they can't stop going to him. Why? Because he speaks the word of God. That is what matters. Speak the word of God. And we will accomplish in this world all God has called us to accomplish. And, and it's not until it's all over that we know what that is. It, it may result in enormous revival and transformation. It may result with us up in jail. You just can't tell. There's no way of knowing how that is all going to fall out. It shouldn't affect our message. We should speak the truth one way or the other. Though it brings great prosperity or brings great challenges. Speak the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for John the Baptist and his willingness to stand up and declare the truth. We thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for the life of the apostles. We thank you that your word is just as sharp and powerful today as it was back then. And so may we see the life of Jesus, the life of John, the life of the apostles, and see that you use your word, and may we be determined to Speak it. Do not be reeds shaken in the wind. Do not be people who are afraid of society and afraid of what people might think of us. But with kindness, with compassion, but with steel conviction, speak truth. Use our lives, Lord, to further your kingdom, to further your word, and to further your work. Give us clarity to know what the truth is and speak it boldly. In your name, with love, we pray. Amen.